Welcome to the Pup Sports Podcast with a special interview today. We've got another alumni interview. It's been a little bit, been a while. I was out last week, had a busy week, didn't get a chance to record a podcast, but Prep was successful last week in beating Hanford uh, 50-36, biggest offensive output performance that they've had all year. And uh, really exciting to see that they will move on to the first round of the playoffs and play Graham Kapowson, uh in the Palouse. Or uh, Puget Sound, not the Palouse. But, uh, and uh, it should be a good game, but quite the travel over there. I think it's like a five-hour drive, so that should be fun. Uh, we do know the game will be on Saturday. I'm, I think I'm still hearing that it could be at 1 or 2.30. We'll ask our uh, guest of honor in just a moment when uh, that game will be. But uh, without further ado, uh, let's get this guy a nice introduction. His name is Liam Bell. He played back in 2015, in which he was a state title winner on quite a team that included Evan Weaver and Connor McKenna. And uh, he joins us today with, uh, with now a new role in which he stepped into after his playing days in college. Now as a coach for the Bullpups, Liam, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Dad. I appreciate it. Man, so first off, I just want to know this. What's it like transitioning from being a player? You know, because you had the opportunity to play, obviously, a nice, successful career in high school and then move on playing college. And now you've got to adjust to being a coach at the high school level. What's that like? It's different. It's very, very, very different. Um, going from a player, uh, especially at the collegiate level now to at the high school level, sometimes you, uh, you want to pull your hair out, but you know, cause you get so much knowledge from playing in college. And so it, you have to take a step back and understand that these kids are still young. And, uh, so it's, it's a learning curve, but, uh, it's something that I've, I think I've embraced pretty well and, and just giving as much knowledge that I have now. Um, and obviously still learning. I'm still a very young coach. This is my first year coaching. Um, so it's 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 an interesting dynamic uh, between being a young coach uh, with still having obviously young high school players. Uh, but it's it's fun. It's it's very very rewarding. Yeah. Now, what's the biggest thing that you've learned from beginning a season to now to where you guys obviously being a playoff team? But for you as a coach, what's kind of one of the things that you've learned? you know, over the weeks leading up to this one? Uh, I think one of the biggest things uh, is preparing our kids, putting them in the best position that they can during practice during the week so then they can perform during game week uh, on Friday nights and, and Saturdays now that the playoffs have started. Um, so, you know, giving them all the different preparation that they need, film, walkthroughs, looking at different defensive schemes during the week, looking at the run game, and specifically for me, working with our quarterbacks, pass game, what are the corners are doing, what are safeties doing, what are the fronts doing, what do the linebackers look like, how are they flowing to the ball, how are they dropping in pass coverage. Um, so just talking through all the minute details that it takes to play quarterback at the high school level, um, that's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned is you need to be on point 24-7 all the time. Yeah. Now, I... Uh transitioning from being a standout to being a passing coordinator in an offense that doesn't really throw the ball that much how much time would you guys say that you spend throwing the ball passing related in practice each week it's probably if i would have to put a number on it it'd probably be 35 percent would be okay would probably be my guess my best guess uh we do work on it quite a bit um 
So more than people would think. More than people would think. Very a lot more than people would think. We have routes. We have one on ones every Wednesday, every Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, so it's it's definitely an emphasis in what we do um, because when we do get teams that play the run a lot, we have to be able to throw the ball and we have to be able be able to throw the ball accurately. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big part in our offense is being able to throw the ball accurately and quickly and get it out of our hands. Now assess Ryan McKenna and how how far he's come since the beginning of the year, being just a sophomore. And uh, relatable to you, didn't you play as a sophomore at prep? I did. I did play a little bit as a sophomore. Um, Kevin Thomas was our starting quarterback That's then. Right. But uh, I did play a, a decent amount, uh, especially when we would you know, run up the score on some teams and, and you know, get in a little earlier because I was the backup uh, than, than I did my freshman year. Um, so it's his play as a sophomore uh, has – I think exceeded all expectations. Obviously he does have a very high expectation ceiling that he needs to meet. Um, probably just being because he is coach McKenna's son. Uh, and another part is that he holds himself at such a high standard uh, that he expects himself to play at that level. So it's watching his growth uh, from the beginning of the season to now is fantastic. He's starting to settle in in his role as a starting quarterback and it's, it's wonderful to see. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've been really surprised to see is the level of respect the teammates have for him when he comes off the field. And even, you know, you see him out there uh, when players are being introduced, he's the first to kind of, you know, slap hands and, you know, hug a guy before he goes out there to stand for the starting lineup. And, you know, when they come off the field, he's the first guy to, to you know, congratulate the offensive line about their performance on the field. And it's just, that's something that can't be taught, I think, a lot of times. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that, What's so cool is because, you know, so often you see a coach's son where people go, oh, that's why he's playing. But when you're actually around the team and around him, it's like, no, that's why that kid's starting. Like, that kid is infectious. Like, everything about him, it's just, you know, what do you need me to do? You kind of feel like you'd do anything for him. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest parts that as coaches we saw very early on. I mean, I want to give Jake Keyes credit. He's the same exact way. He is a leader. He's the first kid in practice. He's the last one out. Um, and he's Jake's in a very tough role. Uh, Jake has stepped into his role as being a leader as well, too, very, very well. And I'm extremely impressed with how he's handled the situation. Um, but I think what really stood us stood out to us uh, with Ryan is his leadership skills are big. Um, no matter what it is, whether it's giving his offensive lineman a hand, you know, slap on the butt or, or giving him a handshake. He's always there, uh, and so that's that's a piece that, like you said, can't be taught. Um, so it's very impressive to see, as, especially as a young sophomore, for him to be able to step into that role and really embrace it and drive the leadership um, is something that we've we've been very proud of him. Yeah. Now on the on the coaching side of things, who's been a coach that has kind of, I mean, obviously McKenna and how long he's been there as a head coach, let alone just a coach in general at prep, um, you know, well over 20 years. And but you look at other supporting staff that Prep has had for years now. I mean, guys that you had when you were a player. Who's been a coach or a couple coaches that have kind of taught you what it's like to be a coach and how to be a good coach? Um, first one that comes to mind is is Bob Cassano. He's our offensive coordinator. Um, going back to the days when I was a freshman uh, in in high school, he spent a lot of time working with me uh, early on um, when I was I think when they were deciding whether or not to bring me up or not, um, 
he really worked with me on getting my footwork down, getting my eyes right. Um, and then now transitioning to a, to a, a player or to a coach, excuse me. Um, it was very, uh, very different learning the different dynamics. And I think he's been very helpful to me, um, specifically in, in the run game with our, with our Vera offense. Um, you know, in college, I would prepare for RPO offense, um, learning how to read a, a defensive front in the run game that way. Um, but running a Vera offense is very different in the run game specifically. Um, and so he's been very instrumental in teaching me how to prepare for that, how to prepare our kids for that. Um, so I look up to him for a lot of those things. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest things that I know from my brother, because he's taught me a lot in his transition from playing days to then coaching, you know, my dad didn't play as much. So he was kind of more of a natural coach because that's all he really ever knew. Um, but my brother has always stressed to me that he goes, as you get deeper and as you become a coach years down the road and further removed from your career, you have to get out of demoing. I said, because he goes, he, you look really bad. He goes, if you try and demo something and you can't do it or you screw up doing it and you, or you just look bad doing it. And he goes, the biggest thing you got to do is you get further down the road as a coach is get away from demoing and be better vocally to be able to express this is what you do. Um, have you expressed or have you uh, experienced any of those challenges this year where you kind of found yourself going, wow, man, <laughs> I look like a little bit of a fool there. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, I think not as much, but I think definitely down the line I will. Yeah. Um, just because I am so young mm -hmm. uh, and I just got out of my playing days. So, uh, it's still fresh in my mind. Everything's there. I'm, I'm still throwing <laughs> all the time. Um, but definitely that's going to be, you know, the next learning stages of, of being a coach is ver being able to verbalize what I'm trying to have, have our yeah. guys do, um, is going to be a big instrumental part in my coaching ability mm -hmm. um it's something that i haven't come across yet but yeah. I, I will probably in the very in the very <laughs> soon future probably the next five or six years who throws a better ball you or nate graham oh <laughs> you're gonna put me <laughs> on the spot like that <laughs> uh, I, i'm gonna go out on a limb here and I, I i think i do but that's just because i'm a lot younger than <laughs> coach graham is and i think he is like yeah i think he has a torn rotator cuff in his right arm and <laughs> so <laughs> So you're still, you're Sorry, me. Coach Graham. <laughs> I know you're going to probably listen to this. <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't always get better with age in every aspect. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I've i seen both of you guys throw the ball. You throw a pretty nice ball still. I mean, Coach Graham to this day still throws a pretty good yes, ball. So very. It's, uh, it's there. But, yeah, no, I, I give it to you. I see you out there in pregame still, <laughs> still slinging it around. Now, uh, sometimes I think that this would surprise some people that – uh, look at prep and their offense. I pulled it up here that obviously a four-year letterman, you'd kind of touched on that, two-year starter. Uh, you ended up throwing for more than 2,000 yards and uh, rushed for over 1,000. So pretty impressive in an offense that doesn't or isn't known for throwing the football that you still racked up the yards through the air. So you guys must have thrown a little bit more back when you were quarterback. Yeah, so back when I was playing for the Bullpups, it seems like forever now, um, <laughs> we did some things. Uh, I was more of a, a pocket passer than I think our coaching staff had seen in a long time. So we did a little bit more with our – we added some RPO stuff. Uh, we added a lot of quick game, um, okay. and that has to do with 
not just me, but our, our the wide receiving core that I had too. Uh, we had guys that were very quick and they could make their routes very crisp and clean and, and create separation in the pass game. Um, so it was more that um, I could make those throws and allow those guys to, they got open for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just all on me. We, we had a very talented receiving core around myself too. Yeah, you guys had some height. I mean, it looked like uh, from what I remember too, um, yeah, you had the ability to kind of be able to throw the ball up there here and there and have a guy come down with it. Yeah, especially with the addition of you know, Devin Culp was a sophomore when I was a senior. Uh, that was that was pretty instrumental. He he ran a pretty pretty good fade route. So against the short corner, we could go one on one and toss it up to him, and he'd go make a play. And uh, in situations down in the red zone when we had a back uh, back door uh, back shoulder of that ball, it was yeah. made it made my job a lot easier to have a kid like that. Yeah. So, Ed, do I have this right? You said Bob worked with you when you were a freshman. So does that mean, did you yep, suit I, for any for, uh, games as, as a freshman of varsity? I did. I suited for every single one. Wow. Yeah, every single game. Uh, I played in wait, wait, quite wait, wait. a few. How big were you? Because you you're a big kid. Yeah, How I, was, big <laughs> I, was, I was a big kid. I always have been. Um, my parents joked that I was always the biggest kid on the field, no matter you know when I was growing <laughs> up. Uh, and that's true. During my... You know, during my youth football days, I would have to lose 15, 20 pounds to be able to play quarterback. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, it's, it's kind of been something that I've grown into. My dad's yeah. a very big guy. And so, yeah, I kind of got that from the genes. But as a freshman, I think I was 5'10, 180, 185. Okay. So I was a very big freshman. Um, <laughs> there was a, I remember vaguely, there was a, there was a play we were playing Ferris, um, and we had we whooped up on him pretty good. And there was this big old kid. I think he ended up going to WSU or or something of that nature, a Pac-12 school. And I, I we ran we were just running Veer and Jack Bamis was a sophomore at the time. He was a running back, and uh, did our did our Veer action. And, I saw this kid come running right at me, and I was like, "Oh, Jack, here you go. Here's the ball. I'm not. I'm not getting hit. I'm. I'm still. I'm 14 years old. I don't want to. I don't want to have that kid hit me." <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, okay. So that's great. So then, sophomore year, you play a little bit more. Obviously, you talked about it. You know, garbage time here and there because of the fact that you know you guys had talented teams. It seemed like every year that you were there. So your freshman year, who was quarterback? Uh, Zach Bonneau was our quarterback. That's right. Yeah, Zach, yeah, Zach Bonneau was our quarterback. Okay, so Zach Bonneau's freshman year, then sophomore year was? Kevin Thomas. Kevin Thomas. And yep. that, that was a successful year. How far did they go that year with Kevin Thomas? Oh, boy. Do you remember? I'm trying to pull out the memory bank here. <laughs> uh, quarterfinals, I believe. Okay. Because I remember don't it was relatively the, Yeah, deep. don't quote me on that, but I, yeah. think it, I believe it was quarterfinals, I think. Okay. And then junior year, you finally get the start. Um, do you remember that first game when you actually got the official start? I do. I do. I actually remember pregame. Uh, I had to go to the, I had to go to the, emer- uh, not the emergency room, but urgent care. I cut myself on, on the locker trying to open it. Cause we had these lockers, <laughs> these old lockers before the prep did the remodel. And, uh, I stuck my hand in there and I cut my finger pretty deep and, and our, our trainer, Chris Holly didn't have, a uh, something to carterize the, my finger <laughs> So I missed mass, and Coach McKenna came in right before I had to go to urgent care, and he gave me the 
death eyes. <laughs> he was so mad at me. It's uh, it's pretty well ingrained in my mind. I think I'll probably remember that forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then uh, who was that game against? Oh, I think it was, yeah, it was against Richland. Yep, first game was against Richland. Whoa, you guys played Richland? Your first? My first wow. start. Yep, my first ever varsity start, we played Richland. Or okay. it, was, it was either Richland or Bellarmine Prep. I can't remember which of the okay. two. It was but, uh, um All right, but you still played. Yep, I still, oh yeah, I still played. Was that Once on the throwing hand? No, it was, okay. on my, it was on my left hand. So <laughs> I think that that uh, that gave Coach McKenna a little bit of solace um, thinking about <laughs> that. <laughs> so that junior year, do you remember the GSL record for you guys? Oh, I did you win GSL? That, that uh, no. Yes, we we won the GSL, but we lost to Shittle Park. And Who'd you lose to? Who Who was the quarterback? Who the uh, that was that was Brett Rippin. Brett that Rippin. was Brett Rippin. Yep. Yeah, I think that man is playing in in Denver. I think he's part he of the fifty three right now. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's <laughs> playing in Denver. Um. So yeah, I mean, it was me and Brett knew each other. You know, back and forth a little bit, and from playing seven on seven and stuff like that. So yeah. it was. It was a, you know, good, pretty good rivalry between the two of us. Yeah, and was he a senior when you were a junior? Yeah, he was a senior when I was a junior. So, well, don't it worry, was, it uh, all came back because uh, I believe they got whooped to the Bellevue. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, it was it was bad. Um, that's of course when Bellevue was finding ways to, unique ways to get players on yeah, the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you guys in that year was that the year the magical year of like the four overtime game against Ferris. Uh, my junior, yeah, that was my junior year. Yep, that was four overtimes, and that was a Thursday night game. And I got back after all the all the shenanigans going on to four overtimes, and basically playing two games, game and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, it was exhausting, but that secured us a GSL championship. Yeah, it did actually. So we did we did win okay. a, a GSL championship. So that game though, um, going into it, I mean, was was Ferris looked at that year as a, a pretty good opponent or was that kind of one of their down years because i know they were down for a little bit but i didn't know if that was part of it yeah i, th- I think it was they had a couple guys uh jalen hicks was one of the guys that comes That's to right. mind he is i think he's playing for the tri-cities fire actually in the indoor football league too oh, all right um so there was him and they had a couple other guys that they were pretty pretty solid athletes okay now uh close to losing that game in regulation what do you remember Oh boy, uh, I think we were pretty close to losing regulation, and then, you know, we just ran our ran our offense and maybe got a dive or a pitch to the outside and got in the end zone and, and tied it up, I think, and or went ahead, and then Ferris came back and tied it up or something like that. I can't remember the details, okay. but uh, what I do remember is throwing Nick Wood. It was either Nick Wood or Nick Johnson. Can't remember which one, but just threw him a little out route uh, to to go up and and over in in the fourth overtime there and it was pretty big wow wow now you guys go through that you win the gsl that junior year you get into the playoffs how far did you guys go your quarterfinals and we we played uh chiwana what happened it was not a very good game at all we our offense was stumped we didn't i think we only scored like three points you know what is it about prep that i feel like it's that way where Prep doesn't just lose. They, like when you, they lose, they lose bad. But when they win, they win. They win big, and so it's just like it seems like polar opposites sometimes, to where you know, like even this year where, you know, they played Ferris and, you know, it, it just a bad game being shut out and you know Ferris put them thirty four. Then they come back the next week and beat CV. So it's like sometimes I just can't figure it out where, you know, sometimes just 
teams have the number of, of prep. And so Chia wanted that year. How big were those boys? They were a big football team. I, I think they went on one state that year in 2014, I believe, too. And so okay. they uh, they were a big, big football team. They had some big boys up front on both offense and defensive line. All you know, they, makes sense now. They were uh, they were quite a big struggle. I mean, we're not always the biggest, yeah. uh, biggest offensive line, but we are the fastest, and they were just their their front defensive line was just flat out better than us. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was pretty apparent. Yeah, that's you know that's what I remember in the year that I was a senior. We played in the first round against Richland, and that's just you know something about those big nine schools that they come out and they're just you know some are just some farm kids too where they just punch you in the mouth and it's just you know, it just kind of catches you off guard and all of a sudden, you know, before you know it, you're down by three scores and, you know, that's the game kind of thing. So you lose to Chihuahua. You guys come back, though, senior year. I mean, what was the expectation for that senior year after getting to the quarterfinals? Well, I think our expectation as freshmen, going back to when we were as freshmen, was, you know, we, we want a state title. We want either one or two, and we're yeah. going to do everything we can to, to win one or two. So our whole entire team – uh Excluding the seniors, because obviously it's you know their last season, they're they're always mm-hmm. disappointed. But our junior class, um, it didn't sit right with us. That next week, uh, I believe we we took a week off, but then after that, we uh, let our bodies heal up a little bit. But after that, we were all in the weight room. We were pushing all the younger kids to get in the weight room, and so it didn't sit right with us. Yeah, uh, and I think that was that loss was a big instrumental piece uh, for our team collectively. Uh, to it was almost a wake up call for us. Like, hey, if we want to win, we got to get a lot tougher and we got to get a lot stronger. Yeah. Um. So I, that that was uh, it was almost a slap in the face, but it was very it, it motivated us to to go out next season and and not lose a single game. So you go undefeated in the GSL. Was there even even a close game that year? Do you remember? Oh man, uh, the closest game I think we had. It was probably Ferris. Yeah, I think it was probably Ferris. Uh, okay. We we came out pretty slow in the first half, um, so it was it was pretty close to halftime uh, in, in midway into the third quarter. Uh, but then we we found some answers offensively and and took care of business pretty well. Now, pretty big names on that team. I mean, you had Connor McKenna that played on the defense side of the ball. Uh, who was the other kid? Brooks. What Brook? The other uh, old lineman, or not old lineman, D lineman, or I don't know, was another uh, stand-up player. Uh, Jack Maktoff was a big okay. one. He's he's playing baseball at Gonzaga now. Okay. Um, Josh Condon, uh, who ended up going to Carroll, played a, a year or two there. Um, okay. And then Taj Hoard was a linebacker with Connor. Ah, all right, all right. Um, there was Sam, um, uh, Armani, Marsh. Oh, yeah, yeah, Washington um, State guy now. Okay. Yep, well, he's, he's a Washington State um, uh, Sam, getting him confused with say this is ridiculous. Um, and then of course that that one guy that is playing at Cal now. That, yeah, then Evan Weaver. Evan Weaver, I guess that yep. guy's pretty good too. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that we had a we had a pretty big defense, and and some of our young sophomores they stepped up, and they they were I mean, you know, two of those two of those sophomores on defense are now playing in in college, one at Utah State and one at Washington State. So, Yeah. So, offense side of the ball, what was more game plan? I mean, you talked about it, and we saw, obviously, with the, the stats, you know, you, you threw the ball a little bit more. Um, 
but how often would uh, big number 89 Evan Weaver come into the game to kind of uh, uh, play that S back role? Uh, he in, in the other part of the years, early part of the years, he would come in and, and be a big third down back. Okay. Um, third, second and third down back. Um, we had some pretty pretty shifty S backs uh, in Mason Police and Jake Tucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, my senior year, so they they were our first, second down, and sometimes third down guys. Um, once we started getting later in the season, he'd come in more and more and more. Yeah. Once we started playing more physical teams, um, teams that would run their linebackers into the into the A and B gaps, um, so that he would come in and, and just put his nose down and you know being bigger and faster than everybody else. Yes. Yeah. It was kind of a no brainer for us to do. So. Yeah. Um. So. You get into playoffs. Did you guys have any hiccups before you reached ultimately that that state title game? I remember a game at Albi. Uh, I think it was, or even before that, I remember hearing that the Rich- Richland game was pretty hard fought battle, and then the uh, and then the game at Albi. I don't know if you even know if that was against Richland or not, but uh, that was against Woodenville. Okay, yeah. so our, our first game of the year, Richland. Uh, they were they were pretty. We found it, it took us a while to find our our identity as an offense in that in that first game. Yeah. Um. So that was being on the road, uh, being having the first game on the road. Uh, that was a little difficult, but uh, after I remember, that, I remember being cold too, because I remember Connor telling me that uh, all season, and I guess there was a, a a couple guys that wore nothing under their pads, just skin, and then uh, shoulder pads and jersey. And uh, I believe it was a little bit chillier of a game, and uh, Coach McKenna at halftime came in and told McConnor, Connor that he was playing soft and you need to put on a long sleeve. And so, yep, <laughs> yeah, those those guys uh, they have, they have a name for that, and uh, you know it's that, that's a defensive <laughs> thing. That is a defensive <laughs> thing. And um... <laughs> all right, so uh, that that Richland game, <coughs> you guys figure it out. You get past that. What you said, Woodenville was the game that you guys played at Albie. Yeah, Woodenville was was at Albie. That was our that was the quarter uh, quarterfinal game. Remember, I remember '89, Big Weaver running down the sideline, and I don't know if he scored on that play or set up a big touchdown that basically you guys had to win the game. You had to come back to win the game. Yep, and that was that was a big run for us. And I can't I can't even remember if he scored or not, but whether or not it was a big run, uh, we needed yeah. it big time and gave our offense a little bit of juice. And so yeah. And then uh, you guys go all the way to the state title game now, and who'd you play? We played Skyline. All right. Yeah, we and played Skyline. And, and, you know, it's so weird that I think that, you know, obviously I'm not spoiling the story at all, telling that you guys won the state title yeah. against Skyline. <laughs> but what was so awesome about that from the standpoint of Skyline had started to establish themselves as this kind of perennial powerhouse, you know, going to the state title every year, and you guys kind of came in and, you know, odds were a little bit against prep because I remember watching that on TV going, I don't know, you know, Skyline's been good for years. They run that spread offense. You know, they're used to going fast and all of that. And you guys came out and kind of smacked them in the face a little bit. It was kind of nice. Yeah, I think on our side, uh, everybody was, you know, all the, in the media. And at prep, we try not to listen to the media hype too much. It's, it's Coach McKenna has a philosophy that it's all about us and it's yeah. all about what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a that was a big preaching point uh, for him to us that week, and I think it kind of get little little lit a fire under our butts a little bit, yeah. and uh, we don't like to hear that. So I think our preparation too was a big part. Um, mm-hmm. We went down to on Thursday. We went down to Washington State and pl- uh, practiced in the bubble so we could get 
as much of a dome feel as we whoa, could. Whoa, you guys went down to Washington State? Yeah, we went down to Washington State on, on Thursday. Um, so we and we asked them to turn up the temperature uh, to what to replicate what it would be like in the Tacoma Dome as much as possible. That's cool. I didn't um, know you guys did that. Yep. And then we left Friday morning uh, and then went over and practiced in the Seahawks facility. Um, and we asked them to do the same thing. That's cool. So it was, yeah. So we had a, some two pretty hot practices in the in domes or dome-like conditions. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that really helped in our conditioning aspect mm-hmm. uh, to be able to go in and plan outside in 20, you know, low 20s, high 20 degree weather. Yeah. You know, the, in, until the semifinals and then going and, and playing at 80 degrees inside of a dome was pretty instrumental in, in our conditioning. Dang. You know, so it, it had been... What I mean, so '86 was the last year Prep won the state title before you guys won in 2015, something I, like that. I believe, I believe so. Um, I mean, that experience, let alone for you winning a big game like that, were there people that came out to you after that game, or you know, days after that game that were like, you know, great job out there. Yeah, you know, you know kind of thing where you're just like, I don't even know you, but yeah, yeah, I, th- I think uh, especially that night too. You know, parents in the crowd that, you know, I'd met once or twice, um, you know, they had kids that graduated a couple of years ago or, you know, they're big fans of prep, prep football and, and what we do. And so I think for all of us, um, you know, we had people coming out and supporting us and, and saying, oh, we've been watching for, you know, this past year, we've been watching for years and see you guys go and win a state championship. That was awesome. And that must have been so cool. And so it was kind of uh What's what's the best word I'm looking for? Uh, surreal, I think. Yeah. Was was is the it, best way to put it. At that point, did it feel like it was more than just a game? When you have people coming up to you that are like, "Great job out there," and you don't really know them, and it's just at that point, it, for me, it would feel like, you know, this is what it's all about. You're kind of you're doing it for the prep community. You're doing it because it's for the school and all of that, and what it means to the school to win and be successful and all of that. That to me, what, what, did it feel like it was bigger than just a game at that point? I th- yeah, after the fact, it definitely did. Um, our, a lot of our mindsets going into the game were, you know, this is our game no matter what, we're going to win. Yeah. Uh, we had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. Um, we had no doubt in ourselves at all. There was, there was zero doubt. Um, and I think that's that the biggest credit goes to our coaching staff because they mm-hmm. gave us all the praise in the world. Um, but, you know, they prepared us for that game. Yeah. But at the same time, they were telling us all week, "You're the best team. You're the best team on the field there." So you know, go out and prove it. Mm-hmm. Who'd you look for when you won that game? You know, final horn goes off, you guys win. Who who were you looking for? Connor, <laughs> <laughs> Connor, and you know, to this day, he's he's my best friend in the world. So um, you know, it was going and giving him a big hug and uh, just relishing the moment. Um, you know, that I looked for Coach McKenna and mm-hmm. looked for everybody else, Nick Johnson, Dylan McGillan, uh, Noah McCarella, you know, all, all just everybody. Yeah. Everybody and anybody, give them a big hug and, you know, tell them that you love them and just enjoy the moment as much as possible. Now, uh, did your mom or dad go to prep? No. So my <laughs> my family story is a little bit crazy. Um, I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. Whoa. Um, so right. he was coaching baseball and, and getting his MBA. Okay. Um, my mom was a flight attendant. Um, so I've moved all over the place. Uh, moved, uh, we lived in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota for a couple of years and then uh, Mill Valley outside of San Francisco. Um, then we moved to Medford, Oregon for a couple of years and then 
moved up to Sandpoint, Idaho for when I was in grade school from sixth grade to eighth grade. And then my parents uh, decided, hey, we need to get you back into a I went to a Catholic school my whole life until we mm-hmm. moved up to into Sandpoint. And they were like, hey, you know, we need to get you back into a Catholic school and and be where you, you know, where you belong and, and the values where you grew up in. And so they made that big move for me. Uh, my dad was commuting. Uh, a long time, my my freshman and sophomore year, he'd commute back and forth. Um, so he would come down on Fridays or Thursdays or Fridays so he could be with us for the weekend uh, while me and my brother and my mom were living in Spokane. Um, so it wow. was, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Um, but, yeah, it was my, – my family story is a little bit crazy. We're kind of all over the place. Uh, my dad makes a lot of sacrifices for us, uh, especially in high school, so we could go to, you know, go to prep and, and be in the community that, that we love so much. Wow. No, I think that that's awesome stories. I mean, you hear that from time to time. If you're in the prep community, you'll come across stories like that. But I mean, that's remarkable. I mean, I had no idea that, you know, it's, you know, it, what was that like though, to have, you know, kind of that move be made for you and to feel like, man, if I'm not successful, or I don't do what I'm supposed to, you know, I could be letting my family down. I mean, at any point did it feel like that? Uh, no, uh, not, not as much. I think just because my parents are so strong, yeah. um, you know, they've been separated before throughout the country. My mom was, you know, across the world or my dad was on a big coaching trip, um, you know, while he was coaching baseball at Navy. And so I think they instilled in us that no matter what happens, we're still a family and we're always yeah. together. Um, you know, do your best at everything you can put your head down and, and, and work as hard as you can. And, no matter the outcome, they still love us and they're still proud of us. Yeah. Um, for me and my brother both. Um, so it was that part was instilled in me and my brother at a pretty early age. So yeah, we didn't really feel that, and that's due to my parents being so supportive. Mm-hmm. So your dad commuting. I mean, were there times during the week where you didn't see him? Oh yeah, I wouldn't. Sometimes I wouldn't see him. He would leave on Sundays, Sunday afternoons. Drive, make the drive all the way up there. Um, we were still renting a house there at the time. Um, so during the off season, we, we got to go up there and be with him. So he mm-hmm. didn't have to drive. And, yeah. and so, um, but yeah, most of the weeks I wouldn't see him till Thursday. Um, sometimes I wouldn't, I would see him quick before the game, gave him a hug and then, uh, would go play. Um, so there were some times where I, I wouldn't see him for, you know, a week on end or. Were you closer to dad? Or yeah. Are you closer to dad? Yeah. Me and my dad are, we're very close. Um, very close to my mom too, but yeah. Um, my dad, especially he coaching, coaching me in baseball and, and football growing up, um, and so, just in general. So what was that like? I mean, cause I think about it from myself, I mean, I think anytime anyone hears a story like that, they try and put yourself in your shoes to be like, how would I respond? And to me, I mean, I, there's obvious things that I lean on both of my parents for and, you know, right. at the time and, you know, still currently kind of thing. And yeah. I couldn't imagine just living without one for half the week kind of thing or more than half the week. What was that like? I mean, how big of a challenge was that? Uh, it, it was big at first. Uh, it was big at first. It, it strained our relationship. Um, when more more towards the years uh, later in my high school when I was a sophomore, because um, he would be, he would have to be gone. Yeah. Um, and so you know, due to his job and due to the situation that he was taking the company through, and so he would be on the East Coast for uh, two three weeks. And so, you know, we would get a FaceTime, you know, once or twice a week. Um, so it, it, it was tough not having him around in that aspect. Um, 
but you know, always knowing that he was there for us no matter what, mm-hmm. that did help. Um, but you know, it's it's different when he's not there in person. Yeah. Um, and so for my mom too. I mean, my mom's the rock of our family. Uh, she holds us down together no matter mm-hmm. where we are, whether it's you know she's down in Arizona and my dad's across the country or um, you know whether it's my dad's there and my mom's here in Spokane with my brother when my and my dad's in Arizona. Um, during the later years of my brother's high school. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been tough <laughs> yeah. in that aspect, but. So, uh, during that time though, so I mean, not to say that, you know, your dad wasn't still in contact and you, oh, you talked all about the time. it and, and yep. FaceTime and all of that. Were there guys you got closer with because of the fact that you're like, Hey, you know, it's just my mom at home. You know, you kind of get closer with friends when your family seems divided at times where it's just the yeah. nature of your home life kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, is that where kind of the, the relationship with Connor kind of came? It did. And, you know, especially with Coach McKenna, um, yeah. you know, he was, you know, if I, if, if I needed to talk to, you know, my dad wasn't available or whatever, Yeah, I would go and talk to him about everything. He kind of, he's, over the years, he's become like my second dad. Yeah. Um, him and my dad are, are really, really good friends now. Um, so it's a special relationship that I got to have with him, mm-hmm. um, both as a, as a coach and kind of a, a secondary father figure in my life yeah. at school 24 seven. Um, so it drove me and Connor closer together. Mm-hmm. He'd come over during the week, um, hang out, just be around. And then, yeah. you know, so that was, it was pretty special to be able to have that. Now, how come with being so close with Connor, you know, you didn't grow the flow out as well? <laughs> Oh, the the flow. Oh boy, um, <laughs> probably because my I don't my dad would probably kill me. <laughs> his his military background. I think he would he would look at me and just shake his head. So you know, and I hope I'm, I'm not, uh, making Connor feel better if if he is listening. But um, he told this story, and you'd probably heard it before, but it was the first time I had heard it after the game, in which his girl, his now girlfriend, he was seeing her on their first date. And uh, he came across a guy that said, or asked his girlfriend, do you like his hair? <laughs> and she's like, well, it's his hair, oh, you know, man. he can do what he wants with it. And he goes, if you, you know, if you want to keep her around, and apparently the guy extended his business card in which he was a barber. So yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that was a little wake-up call. I think he ended up cutting his hair like a week later. But, you oh, know, I, I know, and I know he had talked about he was going to do it anyway. But at the same no. time, you know, what's such a drag is, you know, that takes commitment. And, you know, he actually pulled it off pretty well. You know, there's some guys that you look at and go, please, God, cut your hair. Yeah. But there are other guys where it's like, it's like kind of cool. And yep. for a while there, it was it was pretty cool. So yep. I'll give it to him. Yeah, grew it out for seven years, and, <laughs> and... <laughs> so probably right around the five year mark, it was like probably she cut it. Yeah, but you know those first four years were pretty magical. Oh yeah, oh yeah, um, definitely. He loved that hair, and <laughs> I'd always threaten if he if he made me mad, I'd come in at night and buzz half of it and make it into a half mohawk. <laughs> I think that for a long time I was pretty attached to my hair. It wasn't nearly as long as Connor's was, but that was like an ongoing dream nightmare I would have. That I would wake up and it would be like, someone's trying to crap, cut my hair. Oh, that's awesome. And it's awesome. like just, you know, night sweats. And it's like, why am I sweating over this? It's ridiculous. <laughs> this sweating over this. Air. <laughs> um, so you mentioned your dad, military background. Uh, and before we get to that, because I know that's kind of influential in, in, you know, your path and where you're mm-hmm. headed, but... 
college now. So you get done with prep. Uh, you decided to go to St. Thomas. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So during the recruiting process, uh, I just reached out a little bit in the Midwest. Um, my mom, my whole, all my mom's family's from there. So I kind of wanted to get back closer to the Midwest. Um, so I was looking at schools there and, and decided to go to St. Thomas. Um, best, it was the best program that I fit into, mm-hmm. um, both athletically and academically. Um, loved the school and, and had some unfortunate injuries during, uh, during college that um, got a big concussion my freshman year and then ended up, uh, you know, had a pretty good spring, uh, spring practice. And then back in during fall camp, uh, you know, kind of got hit weird and, and, you know, had a, had an injury. And, and so went through the struggle of that, having to come home in the middle of the year and have mad, major back surgery at a L4, L5 microdistectomy. Um, so it, it 21, 20 years old, it's, it was, it was difficult to deal with that in that aspect. And then having to look for a new, uh, you know, new university and cause it set me back, uh, quite, quite a bit, of, uh, school wise. Um, mm-hmm. so then I decided to transfer to Linfield college, um, and, and play there, uh, play the remainder of my collegiate career there. Whoa. You went to Linfield? I did. I did go to Linfield. Yep. The, the, the cats, do I yep. have that right? The cats, wild cats. Cats just beat the Whitworth Pirates over the weekend. I was really bummed. Went to that game. Yep. Uh, in overtime, yeah. Uh, but explain what it's like to have the success you had at prep, and then go, and not to say you didn't have any success at St. Thomas, but then, for lack of a better term, struggle. Yeah. Um, it's it was it took a big toll on me for a while. Uh, it was not the easiest thing in the world to deal with, um, specifically getting hurt uh, in my sophomore year and, and having to deal with all the ramifications of that. Um, it was pretty severe um, mentally and not having the support system of your parents and things there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of college athletes go through this, you know, in, in major injuries like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was difficult to to reset my mind and say, Hey, I'm going to have to battle back from this. Um, you know, this is adversity in my life and I have to overcome it no matter what, you know, it's not, my dad always says it's, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it. Um, and so I really had to embrace that and, and realize that, Hey, I may not be where I need to be in four months, five months, but in eight to eight months to a year, I'm going to be back where I need to be. Uh, to be able to compete on the football field, so it was it was a struggle, but you know got there eventually. How long did it take you when you were faced with those first initial injuries and then the back injury, to where you reached that point where you were like, okay, time to move on, next next step, get back. You know, I'm gonna get to Linfield, or you know, I'm gonna get to wherever my next place is gonna be, type of thing. Realistically and honestly, like. Is it weeks that takes you to kind of get to that point to get out of that funk, or were you months? You snap you know, months. Months. It's it. Yeah, it took me months. Uh, I came home in the middle of October, because um, that was to the point where I couldn't even walk to class. I was I had something called drop foot in my right leg, um, so I was walking around lifting my knee up, which would lift my foot up to walk to class, and I'd be on my back for 15, 16 hours a day. Uh, so that I, so my parents saw it, um, and so did my coaches, um, and they saw, I just was not in a, in a good position, uh, to be able to 
go to class and be successful uh, in, in my academics. So uh, they, they kind of coached me through like, Hey, you need to come home. You need to get this fixed. You need to get uh, healthy physically. And then we can move on to the next steps of, Hey, let's get back on the football field. Let's get back in class. Let's get back to the point where I was, you know, happy and where I was thriving. And, and so it was, it's pretty difficult. Well, now, uh, mom, dad, you know, coach McKenna was there a person you kind of look back and you say, you know, they're pretty helpful and helped me get out of that funk. Uh, it, all of them, all of them, all of them leaning on, I think the, the family structure that I, you know, along with my immediate family and then with my extended family, as we call it, the, the McKenna's and mm-hmm. really leaning on them and coach McKenna and all of his wisdom saying, Hey man, it's, it's okay. Take yeah. a step back, get healthy, get your mind right again, mm-hmm. and then we can move on and figure out what you need to do to get back in the football field. Yeah. Now, how did you get in contact? How did you find Linfield? How did you kind of get back and get there? So during the recruiting process when I was in high school, um, I was getting recruited by Linfield uh, pretty heavily. And so um, it was actually either between Linfield or St. Thomas. Um, and obviously I chose St. Thomas. So um, during December – of what would that be 2017 um i extended a, a text message to to aaron bomey the quarterbacks coach there and the offensive coordinator um he's now the wide receivers coach and said hey um possibly looking to transfer uh could we could we call get a you know get a call going and and i could pick your brain about maybe coming to linfield um he texted me back 10 minutes later said hey man what's going on Let's, can you talk right now mm-hmm gave me a call and so got talking with coach Bomey and, and coach Smith and uh, really had to take a step back and say, that is the place I need to be mm-hmm. um, supporting me academically, supporting me athletically, understanding that I'm coming off a severe injury and it's not going to be easy. And I will probably may or may not be ready to play next year. Um, so they supported me fully. They had, you know, physical therapists there ready for me. They had, you know, pool workouts ready for me. Um, cause I couldn't lift more than 20 pounds by the time I got there. So <laughs> I was doing workouts with, you know, arm workouts cause I couldn't do any legs cause mm-hmm. I couldn't squat yet. Um, couldn't do hardly could do any core. Uh, so they were very understanding and supportive of me to get me back on the football field. Wow. So you get back on the football field, you played, it would have been last year, right? Uh, yeah, played in the springtime, and then you know played on the scout team and stuff in the in the spring in the fall. Okay, and then uh, after that, you ultimately decide you know this past year to make the transition to coaching, not playing anymore. Obviously, that's a tough decision, but go into that. What what really went into that process? Who'd you call? Who'd you talk to? Who aided in helping you make that kind of final decision to, hey, I got to hang it up and I got to move on? Yeah. So I kind of got to the point where um, I'd wake up, you know, for morning lifts and my body would just hurt. It was hurting and it would hurt and it wouldn't get, it wouldn't stop. Um, And it just, I wasn't enjoying the grind as they call it uh, Mm -hmm. as, as much as, as I was two months ago, three months ago. Yeah. Um, and I think probably that's just because physically, I think my body was at its limit, um, which was unfortunate, but knowing me and my personality, I pushed through a lot of physical pain, 
Um, so I kind of found that I reached my limit mm-hmm. with that. And so I, I, I would call, call up Connor and I'd call up my dad and, and coach McKenna and just talk through a bunch of different things with them. Like, Hey, you know, is this, they would ask me questions like, Hey, is this really what you want to do? Or do you need to take, you know, a couple of weeks and just think about it? Um, so at the, at the end, I, I, you know, I was talking to coach Bomey and coach Smith about it too. And, um, they were again, extremely supportive that they're one of the best coaching staffs that I've ever played for. Um, couldn't thank them enough. They support me through everything. Mm -hmm. Um, still text with coach Bomey all the time. And so it's talked with them about it and they said, Hey, like we get it. You know, we, we all came to that point where it was either our bodies or our heads weren't in it enough. And so they completely understood. Um, they supported me. They, you know, I was out at spring practice and everything like that. So just being a part of the team um, before I made my final decision. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I can't thank them enough for doing that. But at the end of the day, just knowing that, Hey, it's time. Mm -hmm. And as much as it sucks, uh, it's it's the best decision for me. Yeah. Now going back to kind of the educational element, the foundation of being at prep and all of that, I mean, you felt like, I mean, I, I'm biased toward it because I feel like I've seen what prep can offer and what it offered for me kind of thing and where I've leaned on it, you know, past experience and being in that community and what that community taught me, um, you know, as I've approached challenges, did you feel as if, you know, if you had gone to maybe some other school, some other high school that, you know, that, that community, that, you know, foundation that was there that kind of helped you get through a lot of you know, painful times. Yep. Would that been been the same? And it seems pretty obvious to me, but I mean, like for you, I mean, the, right, for, how important was that? Right. Uh, especially, you know, people listening yeah. on the outside, they don't really know what goes on and perhaps a special place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of Jesuit Catholic Jesuit schools are, but I think prep is a little bit different. Um, through all the, the faith-based stuff we do, um, through the retreats and, and all that stuff, um, it really brings all the kids together and it brings the students with the staff together. Um, and it really instills in you that community is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and if something ever does happen, you have people to lean back on no matter yeah. what. You can call people that you haven't talked to in 15 years and they wouldn't hesitate to help you out with whatever you need. So I think that was uh, extremely important. Um, and it's something that I learned throughout my time at prep, um, knowing that you do have a community that, that, that does love you and they will support you through anything. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it gives me chills kind of thing because of the fact that it's, you know, it's frustrating when you look at, you know, athletics at prep and it's so much deeper and bigger than, you know, winning a state title, right? You know, because it for me, and you know, probably for you too, and kind of hearing more of your path, it, it can almost feel as if that state title probably felt like it was a long time ago when you yeah. were probably going through a lot of that stuff. Where yeah. it's it's you know, you're humbled by life pretty quickly as you know much success as you may be able to have. That I think that that's lost in a lot of people to think prep recruits, right? And you know, that's what they're all about. Yeah. And it's like. 
I don't know if you've seen some of the kids that come out of prep and I don't think they're out after just recruiting kids and being successful because one, they're not as successful as you think yep. as far as in every sport. And if they do recruit, they do a really bad job. That's, that's right. Yeah. You know, so we, I mean, we, we never have the biggest, fastest kids athletically, yeah. but we have the best kids off the field and in the classroom and, and just in our school. Mm-hmm. I think in general. Um, and of course I'm biased to that, Yeah. but I really do think that our kids are special, um, especially as they get older um, and they're able to grow as a class and as a community more. And they really see what the whole prep community brings. Uh, I think it's something special and it leaves a, a very big impact on them. Touch on the fact prep recruits, do they recruit? It is, it mean like, is it the kind of thing of, <laughs> Hey, you should think about coming to prep and come to open house. And is that their recruiting? I mean, like, are they just yeah. turning people to investigate the school? What has been your experience? Have you ever talked to someone that said that they've been approached by someone at prep to never come play athletics? Never. Prep does not recruit at any sport, no matter what. It's it drives me nuts when people say that because mm-hmm. uh, we don't. We never have and never will. Mm-hmm. That's not who we are. That's not who we are as people. Um, when people see the success that prep has both academically and athletically, mm-hmm. I think it drives kids towards going to school there. Yeah. They see that success and they see, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, I want to find my place there. Mm-hmm. That's where I want to, you know, make my mark. That's where I will be most successful. It'll set me up for college down the line yeah. academically. It'll give me, you know, a, a, a group of friends through athletics that'll, last me a lifetime um i think that's what people are drawn to prep and i think in spokane most people don't or you know even around the state people don't understand that Mm -hmm. um because there are only a select few successful private catholic schools in the state Mm -hmm. you know kennedy catholic eastside catholic us bellarmine prep yeah those are just some names that come to mind Mm -hmm. those schools are successful because of all the things off the field. Yeah. So it's, it hurts my heart to hear when people say, Oh, you recruit. We don't recruit. We never have, and we never will. And th- and that's the thing. I think it's lost on a lot of people that, you know, you look at some of the bigger athletes to come out of prep and be successful. And, you know, when you just investigate who they are, social media, or if you actually know them, talk to them, you see that they're, it's, it's bigger than just a game for them or, you know, what prep really did uh, teach them. And, you know, just to look on, you know, your Twitter and to see TBIYTC on there. I mean, that's a message to prep alum that has been there for the longest time. And that's like, that's all you need to know. Right. When you see s- certain messages like that, that, hey, this is what I took away from prep. It wasn't the state title and that was it. And that was so awesome. So it was, much bigger than that. There's so much more yeah. than that. And what I took away from that and I will have more than you know, look at this ring that I have in my hand. Right. It, you know, th- it, it's a lot more than that. And and hearing you say that, you know, just looking at my social media bios and all that stuff. And, you know, that's been around for as long as prep's been <laughs> been open for 100 plus years. You yeah. know, um, it's it's about something bigger than yourself. Not about, you know, it's not all about me. It's mm-hmm. about everybody else around me. And how do I make them better than myself? Yeah. So I told you we'd get back to it. Dad being in the military, the hair, <laughs> yeah. 
and, you know, the long hair would not fly. Um, and conversations with you just a couple of weeks ago, you started to kind of share your aspirations, your path and where you're headed now that yep. you've moved past uh, your plan days. I mean, it's been cool to see you coach and kind of give back to the prep community in that regard right now. But what are you doing right now? Like what's, what's next steps for Liam Bell? So uh, in the springtime, I'll, I'm going to go to Gonzaga and uh, finish up my degree. And then uh, I will uh, start to uh, start to apply to the FBI Academy. Um, something I've wanted to do for a while now. Uh, work in law in law enforcement, uh, specifically counterterrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm taking air. I've been taking Arabic for since my sophomore year of college. Wow. Um, so, in in really understanding how the Middle East works, how the people are, and you know. There are a lot of great people in the Middle East. I think that's something most people don't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not all terrorists. <laughs> they're not all terrorists. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of very, very good people over yeah. there. Uh, it's it's a different culture. It's a different mm-hmm. part of the world. Um, and most it's it's difficult, you know, for people to understand that. I think because of the history, you know, because because of nine eleven, yeah, um, that people just they don't understand. Um, they're not informed, and it it's it's a very complex thing. Mm-hmm. So. Don't fault people for not understanding it. Yeah. It's a very complex situation. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's, you know, whether it's ignorance or whether it's just not being educated or, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything in between. But yeah, it's something that I've been pretty passionate about. And I think for the longest time I, I wanted to go, go to the Naval Academy. Um, it's a very hard institution to get into. <laughs> so that path, unfortunately, didn't work out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, me and my dad kind of sat down and said, hey, what's the next best thing? What can I do? You know, how can I make a difference? Um, and so we kind of came up with that. The dream would be to work in the CIA, of yeah. course. That's, I think that's that's the. And we'll never know if you get there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so he you know, works have, for the State Department. Right. Exactly. That's it. That's all I can tell you. Exactly. Um, so I think you know going, starting to do, go through this process of applying for the FBI Academy and and going through all that entails uh, is is going to be pretty fun. So what what does that look like? What do you have to do? What is one need what assets what tools to be able yep. to kind of even be on the fbi's radar so first um what the fbi what they want you to do is they want you to have a, a college degree okay. a bachelor's degree um they look what most people don't realize is they look for a whole all types of degrees uh for criminology they look for political science they look for international studies international relations um uh, IT guys, you know, math guys, science guys, um, guys and girls, um, everything, um, different specialties through the whole entire academic spectrum, uh, okay. because there are hundreds of jobs okay. that you can work for the FBI in, and you can be a analyst, you could be a field agent, you could be a, um, uh, a medical examiner. Okay. There are millions of different things. And so what that looks like is they want you to have a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. They want you, you apply to the FBI Academy. Uh, for me specifically, I want to be a, a special agent uh, working in the counterterrorism, te- counterterrorism division. Okay. Um, so I'll have, you know, I'll have to go through training and uh, weapons training, physical training, um, mental training. Um, so it takes, the FBI Academy is about a year okay. and change with all the different mm-hmm. things you have to go through, all the different qualifications, um, learning about, um, Basic law, criminal law, um, all that entails. Um, and obviously, I'm not an expert yeah. <laughs> um, yet. That's obviously the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, so that that's kind of what it entails. Um, and the interview process, you have to go through background checks, you have to go through a polygraph, drug tests. You know, there's there's a million different things you got to do. So, so when they ask you on the polygraph, were you ever scared your junior or senior year playing football? <laughs> the, the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Uh, so will there be any, uh, like prerequisite training that you have to do any weight that you have to drop anything like that? Um, so you have to, I believe you have to run a mile and a half in around 14, 13, 14 minutes. Okay. That's not, so it's impossible. not, you know, not too bad. You mm-hmm. run a seven minute mile, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, you have to do a certain amount of sit-ups in a okay. minute. You have to do a certain amount of push-ups, push-ups. certain amount of pull-ups, you know, all the, all okay. that stuff. Um, so that just getting you know physically fit fit, Mm -hmm. um which i don't think it will be a problem for me (laughs) no i I don't think so either i think your athletic background and uh, experience is probably all all you need um okay so that would be incredible i mean that would be really cool uh so for you going to gu finishing up what will be your major uh so well i'm kind of in between i'm i'm Kind of thinking about maybe changing it to, to having criminology. Gonzaga is one of the few schools around the country that does have that. Okay. Um, and that would help? That would help. Um, either that or just sticking with political science. And, yeah. You know, if I switched it to criminology, it'd probably add another year, mm-hmm. year, year and a half to my education, which wouldn't be the worst thing. But, you know, at the same time, there's something to be said for just going and finishing my degree and then, you know, going out to the workforce and stuff like that. So got to kind of decide the next couple of weeks here what I want to do yeah. specifically with that. Um, but other than that, after that, apply for the FBI Academy and, and go through all that. It'd be pretty cool. Uh, it, as far as academically, is it pretty rigorous as far as like GPA and all of that? Yeah. Um, so specifically like what the agency looks for. Yeah. Or, so like yeah. when they like accept you into the Academy, will they yeah. look for like a certain grade point average they like? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. Yeah. Um, pr- there's probably at least some yeah. standard of, of uh, grade point average they'll look for. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? I think as long as if you're dedicated and committed to mm-hmm. to what you want to do, I yeah. think that shows them a lot. Hey, man, I think that the Arabic, Arabic background would be kind of quite nice to have with, uh, yeah. you know, you wanting to go that direction. Now, um, as far as football – how will you keep that part of your life? I mean, it will be, there will be a constant effort to kind of maybe keep coaching yeah. alive. Yep, yep. I, I definitely want to be able to coach, you know, wherever I end up. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's here in Spokane, which would be the biggest blessing in the world, or, you know, if I'm in Florida or if I'm in, you know, California or yeah. where, you know, wherever, Texas, mm-hmm. Arizona, you know, wherever wherever the job takes me. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely still want to be able to coach. Uh, cool. It's something that I've – kind of fell in love with mm-hmm. obviously this is my first year coaching but in, in this first year i've fell in love with watching the kids grow throughout a, just one season mm-hmm. um and then obviously going to be plus that will, will be pretty pretty rewarding so let's uh let's talk assessment of quarterbacks real fast uh you know we have talked about how you're you know, a decent college football fan and such and you know you're a fan of the saints you're a big drew Brees yep, guy big drew Brees. Guy. uh but Huge game over the weekend. Alabama played LSU. Joe Burrow gotten on a lot of people's radar, even though I think he's played pretty well throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if you had to choose between Joe Burrow or Tua Tungo Vailoa, 
uh, and then you are the Saints, and you want one yep. of those quarterbacks to be the next replacement for Drew Brees, who would you take? I think right now uh, what Joe has shown is – Joe, the first thing Joe, he's yeah, here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I wish. Um, but I think what, what Joe Burrow has shown is that he can command a football team very yeah. well in all different situations, in, in small games, in big games. And be successful no matter what the what the situation is. Yeah. Um. And I think that his accuracy, I think, is something big that, that a lot of people overlook. I heard today that he's completed over seventy nine percent of his passes this year. That does not surprise me one bit. <laughs> it's like unheard of. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think again that that's a lot of what people overlook is and that can be translated at any level. That can be mm-hmm. translated in the NFL very well. So for me, if I were you know an NFL GM or something, I would definitely. Joe Burrow is, is on my number one right now. All right. Uh, so I believe Burrow is number nine. Yep. So if by some miracle he went to New Orleans, uh, he, I guess, would have to ask Drew Brees after Brees retires, <laughs> would you mind if I took number nine? Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. <laughs> my uh, my estimate on that is the, the Saints organization would probably say no. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to retire that jersey very quickly. So – after all the travels in which you've been to, you said you lived in Maryland. You yep. lived in where else? I uh, lived in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. Lived in San Francisco. Uh, lived in Medford, Oregon. That's right. Lived okay. in Sandpoint, Idaho. Um, um, and you, if had a choice, would choose kind of Spokane to be home. If I you could. would choose Spokane a hundred percent. Yeah, live in a lot of different places. It's. Uh, so you hear that all of those prep students that think, I gotta get the hell out of here. Yeah, you know yeah. this place is a prison. You're hearing from people that you know just wait and you know just like wait. people are looking at you and saying, just wait a couple of years and you'll be thinking, oh, you know maybe it's not too bad after all. Yeah, you know I mean it's it's great to go out and you know go across the country for school and get all those different experiences and places and you know live your life, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, get those, I don't want to say worldly, you know, those worldly experiences of, you know, growing and maturing and, yeah. and being on your own, I think is extremely important. Um, you grow as a person and you find yourself really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're you know, you're, I'm, I think you can speak to that pretty well. Right. You know, in, in Minnesota, you're sitting in and it's negative 20 degrees and it's the <laughs> second week in December and you're looking at yourself like, why did I come to school here? It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. <laughs> I'm not sure fun's the right word, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the last thing I probably want to say, and you, you touched on this and this is probably one of the last things I think is pretty cool. You know, you talked about how those in the middle East are kind of misunderstood at times just people aren't well educated there are good people that live over there and i think it's because of the fact that we can look and it's so foreign that it's like we can label people as a whole where it's like everybody is like that because you know whether it be you look the same you talk the same right you know you culturally do the same things one of the things that i'm not comparing prep to the middle east please don't take (laughs) me the wrong way before i get this but one of the things that is cool about a community like prep is we're in the united states it's such a melting pot where right. there are so many diverse different languages you know people from so all many walks different of, people yeah yeah of they, they life to... and all of that it's cool to be in a town in a city in which a community like prep can give you a sense of 
culture belonging tradition to where it is somewhat nice to have that to where other countries have cultures traditions all of that right. in which everybody buys into it's kind of cool to be in a community like prep where right you know people think the yeah, same way right yeah i think i think context is is big here you know comparing the the two is is definitely there there are some similarities yeah uh, just it's a stretch okay yeah <laughs> but no no, no i i your your point of of having the same culture and the same you know uh same mindset is is spot on um with prep and and having people around that you're surrounded by um mm. that all have the same goal in mind yeah um all have the same ideals you know maybe we differ in you know race religion mm-hmm. um you know ideology but we're all at the same place together and we all can accept and understand and yeah. learn from each other. I think that's, it's an extremely important and special thing. And I think people actually genuinely mean when they come across you and you talked about how, you know, maybe you haven't talked to them for years and they kind of pick up where they left off. Yep. And when they say, you know, good for you, or I'm happy for you, or that's so awesome, you know, keep in touch. Let me know how that goes. Yeah. They're genuine about it. They yeah, don't just they say it, it to kind of check right. the box. They're actually like, no, if you're successful, this makes, you know, the community stronger because, you know, hey, we get to you look at an example of, you know, if it's my kid, of go, hey, look what Liam Bell did. You know, he achieved his dream kind of thing. Right. And, you know, help prep, prep help him get there or, you know, his family helped him get there. All of that where you kind of get to be able to point to people that are good role models. Right. And then, you know, you know personally and, you know, if your kids are looking to do X, Y, Z in the world, you know, you have your you have contacts that you can get them in touch with and mm-hmm. have them share their experiences and. You know, it's, I think it's second to none. Yeah. Now, uh, I, you know, I did let it slide for the entire podcast, but I got to mention it. You have been in a relationship with an individual that is a Ferris grad. <laughs> yes, I think, she is. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I still can't get over that. We've got a state title here talking about oh, the prep community. And he finds a way to somehow go to a school in which, you know, people have real mixed feelings about it. <laughs> How long has that been going on? How long have you guys been together? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Uh, she's going to... Roughly? That's why uh, we'll save some face here? Since uh, June. Okay. May, maybe. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I've and lost track of time. <laughs> she's been committed, though. She has yep. come over from the west side yeah, it's for almost incredible. every game. I think yeah. uh, she did not make it to the last game against Hanford. Yeah, unfortunately. We'll make sure she, that she uh, knows that we're disappointed. <laughs> yeah, right. the Hanford game. Exactly. Come on, Colleen. <laughs> what are you doing? I believe, and she was like the first to let me know that we were playing Graham Kapowson to go, <laughs> it's on the west side. And it's like, good for you. <laughs> really only you because everyone else is like, everyone else has to travel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she, she made sure she rubbed that in on, on Sunday a little bit when we found out. But uh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She comes over and, you know, supports me coming over and she drives over and, and comes to all the games and it's been pretty special it's you know cool. she's you know young professional and she's you know in her career and so it's it's pretty special that she has the ability to do that yeah um feel pretty blessed that 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 can that we're in a situation that that, that can happen so yeah and uh she's you know obviously biased to the number 11 uh <laughs> she's i asked her, you know like 
you know, uh, you missed the last game. And she goes, yeah, I know. I miss seeing Ryan play. And it's like, okay, I didn't know that that was your main focus for coming over to see games, oh, Ryan yeah. McKenna. Oh, yeah. she's uh, <laughs> She loves Ryan and uh, the whole McKenna family. And so she's friends with Jordan and Connor. And, That's good. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's pretty <laughs> – that he's he's her number 11 and she makes me know it and it's pretty <laughs> hilarious i love it so love the banter the 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 thing that just makes me think of is the legacy of number 11 so you were number 11 state yep. title winner past that point i think there's been a real number 11 thing for the quarterback position because even shane schmilkofer was yep. number 11 when i, think, I played did david stockton did he wear 11? He was number 10, I think. He was 10? Oh, okay, um, he was 10. But, uh, you know, I just think that there's there's been some good quarterback lineage yeah, Shane, of number yep. 11. And I think, uh, you know, not to say that big game Shane didn't have a, a good career prep, but uh, yeah. yours is going to be pretty tough to beat. And I think really started <laughs> something. Yeah. So uh, I think I think Ryan's got a pretty good shot at, at beating that. So Yeah, starting as a sophomore doesn't hurt him. Yeah, it does not hurt him at all. Well, but, hey. Uh, Thanks so much for uh, coming on, making the journey too. You came all the way out to Canada, uh, Studio B, <laughs> all the way out to Canada. <laughs> uh, and uh, recorded a great episode. I mean, it's been a lot of fun talking, kind of hearing your journey. And I think that's a big thing. I think a lot of kids are going to be able, be able to have the chance to listen. And you know, shout out to Mr. Tomberry going, you know, on Friday night asking me, "Who do we got next? Who's the next oh, alumni awesome. coming on?" So, <laughs> yeah, awesome. and when I told him your name, he was. Uh, ecstatic that you know oh he'll be a, he'll be a great guy He's that's a great awesome guy. well I, I appreciate you having me on and it's been been an honor to just you know come and sit in the studio and and talk about it with you and so it's it's been pretty awesome okay well hey uh on the long drive back uh find a way to get past that logan paul lost to ksi over the weekend okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i uh, was i was actually you know this is funny because i was i was really hoping logan would win and i thought he was a better boxer and ah man <laughs> so for all of us out there uh in in like-minded just like liam that pray for logan paul and his salvation <laughs> Um, but I guess kudos to KSI and uh, as always, go pups. Uh, go pups, man.